children of the world, parents of the world, this is for you. I'm Rowena. And I'm April. We are best friends and moms to five young athletes and sisters to Olympic champions. We have a mission to inspire our kids and your kids through the stories of champions. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. We are so inspired to talk to a special human today, the winningest snowboarder in history, Kelly Clark, you guys. We're going to hear some stories from an astonishing 20-year career of competition. Kelly is a trailblazer and dominant force of nature, wired to continually raise her own bar and inspiring others to do the same. She is a woman of faith and purpose with a mission to inspire and pursue their potential and be who they were created to be. Kelly has three Olympic medals and 78 78 wins, you guys, but her life goes so much deeper and higher than winning. She's the pure example that being a champion is an inside job. Her life is the message. Let's sit back and hear about it. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for being here. Glad to be with you guys. Thank you. Oh, this is going to be fun. Um, Kelly, before we jump into your career and all those stories, I want to hear about little Kelly. I want to hear about who raised you some adventures. Let's begin with that. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm from the East Coast, the United States. Um, I was born in Newport, Rhode Island, and I grew up snowboarding in Mount Snow, Vermont. Um, My dad was a ski bum, so he had me on skis at the age of two. Um, And I saw snowboarding uh, at the age of seven, and it was 1990. It was the first year snowboarding was even allowed at my mountain. Um, And I just fell in love with it. Uh, I, I was in a pretty competitive ski racing program, development program, and I think I made it to be a J4. Um, and oddly enough, I thought competition was a little bit too intense for me in that environment. And so I finally skipped enough ski racing practice to where my parents stopped paying for it and they just let me snowboard all the time. Um, and that turned out to be a pretty good decision for all of us. And, um, yeah, I honestly never wanted to compete in in snowboarding. I just did it because I love it. And there was an opportunity to go to a mountain school and kind of the whole deal was you kind of got to go to go to school half day and snowboard half day, but on the weekends you competed. And I thought, okay, as long as I can snowboard more, I'll try it out. And I ended up being halfway decent at competing and ended up really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so funny. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I knew that you actually skied first and obviously you guys, for those that are you that are, that are listening, Rowie and I are skiers. And so we're always like, why choose what you choose? But now that makes sense. It's the competition side. And actually, you know, my sister talks about that too, how she wishes that skiing was more like snowboarding in that aspect because it doesn't have to be like that. Right. So yeah, it's very really unique. I think skiing and snowboarding, um, obviously, we're high level competitive people, whether you're a ski racer or a snowboarder. Um, and in skiing, obviously you're, you're racing against the clock. Um, and in snowboarding it's, there's a bit more creativity and individuality that I think gets to come out. And so I think in terms of that, that's what kind of attracted me to snowboarding. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, did you know Tora was a little ski racer too? She started out as a ski racer. I tell you what, I've seen Tora (laughs) ski now and, she still could be a ski racer if she wanted. I remember I was I was uh, in Utah shooting in the Park City Pipe one day, and it was kind of closing, and we were finishing up our shoot, and I saw this skier come through doing, like, head-high airs, and I'm like, I thought the pipe was closed for me. 
and it came through and all of a sudden it's Torah. And I'm just shocked. Dude. That girl riding a 22 foot pipe on skis, like it's no big deal. She that's can do hilarious. Anything. She can do but anything she what, wants. That's why you guys are so good in the half pipe though. Your Ed's control. It came from ski racing, the core. A hundred percent. The better snowboarder is whoever gets from coping to coping better. It's all about uh-huh. edging. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, did uh, your did your parents um encourage you or always support you in snowboarding or was that something you kind of had to talk them into? <laughs> I really had to talk them into it. I think um when I started snowboarding, uh, it, snowboarding really wasn't what it was today. There was no such thing as the X Games. It was long before it was an Olympic sport and so um I think it was it was really a big stretch. My parents really they supported me, but it was like a, um, a very, I had to keep proving it to them over and over again. So, um, I think anytime your kid tells you, Hey, I want to pursue professional athletics as a profession. Like that's, that's a pretty big risk. You know, a lot of those stories don't work out. And so they kind of kept giving me opportunities to prove it to them. And I kind of kept delivering. So it was a, it was a gradual acceptance, but it was a, it was a really tough sell. Um, when I told them I wanted to defer from college and try to make the Olympic team, you know, I had one shot to do it and one chance to do it. And I'm pretty sure my very first words to my dad in the stands uh, after I won the gold medal in Salt Lake was, does this mean I don't have to go to school? Did I prove it to you? You know, so I was on a prove it journey the whole time trying to show them that, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to prove to you that I can do this. I uh, really resonate with that prove it journey. It's uh, it inspires a lot, right? Um, did you hate school that much, or did you just love snowboarding that much? Um, I I really struggled in school, to be honest. Um, it was really difficult for me, and I didn't find out until I got to high school that I had some learning disabilities, and um. I was never unintelligent. I just struggled in the in the format and in the setting that I was in. And mm. so I didn't see a lot of paths forward um, as I got into high school. And I knew um, sports was the one thing that I loved. Snowboarding was the one thing that I loved. And I thought this is a better a better route forward for me than than a traditional sense of heading to college. So so yes and no. I loved snowboarding, but I struggled in school. Mm. Did you have a defining moment um, when you knew that snowboarding was going to be what you wanted to really pursue for your life? I mean, I know you started at seven and loved it, but was there any time that you were like, okay, this is it. I'm going to take it, take, go to the top with this and do everything I can. Yeah. I, I don't think as a kid, you think you don't, you don't think that you make decisions that will really shape the rest of your life. But looking back, I can see that there was a few decisions that I made as a young person that changed the whole trajectory of my, my life. Um, in 1998 was, was the first year that snowboarding became an Olympic sport. And I remember I had recorded it on a VHS tape and I watched it after school. I thought, I love to snowboard. It's finally in the Olympics. I'm going to, I'm going to watch this and see what it's about. And I, I watched it and I saw, um, this guy named Ross Powers, he won a bronze medal for the U.S. And he happened to be from Vermont. He only grew up about an hour from me. And I saw snowboarding become an Olympic sport. And I saw Ross um, get on the podium. And I, 
I knew right then and there, like, I remember everything about that day. Like, I remember where I was. I remember what the weather was like. And I remember the moment where I said, this is the dream that I want to give my life to. Um, And I was 14 years old. And that moment, 100% shaped the rest of my life. And I just Mm -hmm. think, you know, don't discount the the things that you're passionate about as a young person, because you can really set some things in place to really um, go after the dreams that you have. Mm. Gosh, I love this message so much. It's the mission of our podcast, really. You know, you were so lucky to know Ross Powers and know he was there. And April and I have this vision that, you know, the kids will listen to people like you. And while they don't know you, they're hearing their story and they're like, oh, I have a learning disability. Maybe I could do what Kelly did. Um, It's just so powerful. Yeah. And I think that's all it really takes is seeing someone else do it. You know, that's why I was so Mm -hmm. inspired and um, almost empowered by Ross Mm -hmm. because I was like, he's a kid from Vermont. Oh my gosh, I can do it. You know, and, and even to the to the fact that I struggled with school, like now I'm, I'm an author. Like there's things that we think limit us as a child, as a young person. Um, but there's also things that like aren't permanent as well. And you can break through some of your limitations as you grow and work on them. So what's been amazing about your career is that you get this gold medal, have like the best and most amazing year ever at 18. And then you're like, obviously super in love with it and want to make this, uh, you know, kind of like a lifelong choice, but that it's like, you got to the top and it's like, whoa, okay. Now it was almost like harder to stay up there than get there. I think, do you have things that really helped you? continue to be as amazing as you were throughout your career after hitting that height? Cause you know, how did you deal with the pressure and maybe it wasn't even pressure from other people, pressure from even yourself. How did you um, get through that time and continue to have such an amazing career? Yeah. I always say that being a rookie is really easy. Um, and when I was heading into that first Olympics, I was a kind of a relatively unknown rider. I had potential, but I wasn't you know, established. And then all of a sudden I was the Olympic gold medalist, the Olympic champion. I had the target on my back. I was the person that everybody wanted to beat. Um, and that, that pressure and that expectation that comes with, with that is, um, it is unbelievably difficult to shoulder. It's a, it's a huge burden to be quite honest. Um, and I found it so much more difficult later in my career once I had that expectation and pressure, both from myself, from my sponsors, from, from other people, from the media, whoever it was. And there's a few things that I, that I learned along the way that really helped me, um, kind of navigate that and actually learn to thrive and enjoy it. Um, I think the biggest thing for me that I I learned that, um, it's not necessarily a good thing to get your sense of significance from what you do. I think it's easy to say, Hey, I'm Kelly Clark. I'm a pro snowboarder. That's who I am. And I really had to figure out who I was as a person and what I valued and realize that I had great value outside of my performance for just being me, that, uh, just being me was enough that I didn't have to win everything that I didn't have to, to be something for people to think I was worthy of, significance or love even that was probably the biggest building block for me after my first Olympics that I really had to go back to the drawing board as a young person you're just you know as an 18 year old when I won you're just trying to figure out who you are in the world and grow up um 
And so I had to take a step back and really develop some of those things uh, that set me up to have a long, successful career. I also found that um, the Olympics shouldn't be treated as a destination. I think a lot of people think, oh, once I achieve this great goal, um, I'll be fulfilled or completed or that's it. Like, I think we need to have a very big perspective. And um, I never once thought of an external thing as something that would be a destination or define me. And that allowed me to go to Olympics after Olympics and enjoy it and make the most of it because I wasn't looking to get my uh, significance from it. And I also, it allowed me to take great risks as well. I think when you're worried about, you know, how you're going to be viewed, how you're going to place, you can kind of play it safe and be conservative. But for me, I had that all kind of figured out on the back end so I could take great risks and pursue new tricks, um, pursue different Olympics where I had like the risk of coming up short and not achieving my dreams. It freed me up to dream big and go after it. Um, and I think those things really contributed to my, um, my long career and set me up to like, you know, not only just do it, but actually enjoy it. I think so much of the time, the pressure can, can steal people's enjoyment. Um, and that was something that I learned to kind of sidestep. And then I competed for 20 years and loved it as much from day one, all the way to the end of day, uh, the end of year 20. It's unreal. Um, Tora was telling me the the other day, she's like, you know, the crazy thing about Kelly, because I was asking her for stories. I was like, give me some dirt we can talk about. She's like, the crazy thing is, I remember when I first started snowboarding, watching her on my little TV in Australia. And then now did the, I mean, you just retired a few years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. And she's like, years. <laughs> so it's like you, you were competing with the, the innovators and now you're you're still competing 20 years later with the Chloe Kims and Tora's just like it's unreal like I don't know how she did it but I know, Tora <laughs> used to tell me she had a, a poster of me on her wall she and did, then sure yeah. and then sure enough she was beating me in the Olympics so it just goes full circle <laughs> that's um, wild huh yeah so, and I, I think you just you know with snowboarding the finish line is always moving um yeah and you always kind of had to learn new things and change and adapt. Mm -hmm. And that's also what kept it so fun for me. I think um, I was constantly challenged to learn new things. And that's mm -hmm. exciting and motivating. I want to know um, who made you like this. I mean, obviously, you take the credit. But tell me a bit about your parents. Were there any mentors that helped you? Or was everything just self-learned? Like, did you read books? Did you have psychologist helping you because everything you're talking about this is like what April and I are still working on <laughs> yeah I'm still working on it too so so don't worry about that um yeah but yeah my parents they told me that I could be anything I wanted to be you know until I told them I wanted to be a pro mm -hmm. snowboarder and they're like okay that's not really a thing anything but that <laughs> um but you know we we proved we proved them wrong there um a few years later uh so I, I definitely had that belief um and that support, which I think is important. And, you know, I think as an athlete, like it's so easy to be the front man, but it really takes a village. Like it really takes a team of wonderful people and, and supporting me. Like I had great friends. I had amazing coaches. Um, you know, even your sister, Tora, like 
I look at some of my biggest competitors and I'm like, I wouldn't be the competitor that I am if, if I hadn't been pushed and encouraged to be better, you know? So it's, it's people like that. And, um, I did work with a sports psychologist, uh, for probably the last 10 years of my career. Um, and that helped me tremendously. Um, and I, I, I think it was just, I constantly wanted to grow and I didn't, I didn't look to success as being, I'm only successful if I place well, you know, success was growing as a person. It was looking back at the opportunities I had and knowing that I made the most of them and, and not being satisfied with, you know, being the 18 year old Olympic gold medalist and still being motivated at 34 to chase the same dream down again. Um, I constantly like success for me, I define it as growth. And that's what I was going after. Like, it's so easy to be in a competitive setting and say the only things that matter are the results that you get. And for me, I never did it for results. I never did it um, for that sense of achievement. Like, I, I looked at events as like the big reveal and I got to see what I built. You know, I'd go to a contest and I'd be like, okay, I've been working for four years, you know, going into the Olympics to get this run done. And I get to see what I built. It was like the big reveal. It wasn't the uh, end all be all. So it's, it's a very different approach to competing. Um, it's a very different, a different journey than I saw even a lot of my competitors take. But again, it, it, that's, was the secret to my longevity and to, and to really like, to my enjoyment, like it's so easy. Like I saw so many people work their whole lives extremely hard, qualify for the Olympics, you know, make the Olympic team, get to the Olympics. And it's the most stressful, intense thing you can ever imagine being part of. And we get done. And I, I remember having a conversation with a friend and we got done the Olympics and she said, Oh my gosh, are you so glad it's over? And I thought to myself, Oh, that's a really interesting that's an interesting perspective. And I think a lot of people treat stuff like that, where it's like, you almost need like a t-shirt, like I survived the Olympics. And I think sometimes we approach life and that's, that's a real thing. That was her real journey that, that, that she was on. But I just knew I didn't, I didn't want to sign up for that. I, I didn't want to live my life that way. I didn't want to have circumstances dictating how I felt or what I did. I wanted to be the one that was driving it. I wanted to be the one that was progressing. I wanted to be the one that was leading. And, um, and I, I, I can't say it was a, something I learned overnight, but it was something I tried and failed and tried and failed and, and eventually found that my goal was to grow and enjoy it. And I figured out how to do it. This is incredible. I mean, this is a, this is something that we all need to be approaching life like, you know, and I just, it's so inspiring that you have like figured that out. Do you feel like because you approached things that way, it made you not as nervous? Like it helped deal with the nerves in competition because you just were happy to be there anyway? Or did you still get nervous? And how'd you deal with that? I got nervous, like sick to my stomach, nervous all the way up through my last Olympics. Like nerves never went away for me um, because I really cared. And I think like if I wasn't nervous, you know, if I didn't cry, when I lost, because I did that too, all the way till the end, it would be like, it would show me that my heart wasn't really in it. Um, and so 
nerves were just part of it, but I didn't let them dictate my actions. They were there, but I didn't, I didn't live reactionary out of them. I stuck to my plan. I knew I could trust my preparation. I knew I had done the work ahead of time. So, you know, combating nervousness is a good way to do that is to prepare really well. And I made sure I was prepared very well. And um, I also listen to music when I ride because there's so many things fighting for your attention. Like if I learned one thing, like if you don't have it by the time you get to the Olympics, like you're not going to just magically figure it out that day. And so doing the preparation ahead of time and then putting my headphones on and drowning everything out and trusting my my preparation and my process, my, my body knows what to do if I can just get all the emotion and all of the nerves out of the way. Mm. This will be good for our young ones to hear because I think sometimes people think nerves are bad. Um, it's good to hear you've just, just lived part with them. of it. Yeah. I've heard you say before, and I absolutely loved this, that we value things based on what they cost us. And maybe you could, maybe you have a few stories of some really meaningful victories that maybe weren't victories um, because of what they, they cost you that the public don't know. This is just for our little crew here listening. Yeah. I think that's definitely something I learned throughout my career that helped me navigate a performance culture really well. Um, I learned to value things that nobody, that nobody saw as more valuable than the things that everybody did see. Um, and there's different aspects over my career where I can really see that. Um, and you can kind of look at like medals are a very easy way to kind of illustrate this principle. Like you can see a gold medal and you can be like, it's incredible. Like I even like fan out when I see like Torah's medals, like when I see my friends Olympic medals, I'm just like, Hey, can I, can I get a look at that? Can I touch it? Like they're impressive. They're incredible. And they're, they're valuable um, just in general, but for the person who actually owns them and calls them their own, it's what they represent that gives them value. Like my gold medal, wouldn't trade it for the world. Most incredible, incredible experience of my entire life winning the first gold medal for the U S in snowboarding in Salt Lake. But when I look at my bronze medal, which in theory shouldn't be, shouldn't be as valuable, you know, from, from the Sochi games, I see it and I'm like, Oh, that one has value because I know what it cost me to earn. Like, even though it's, you know, I say just a bronze medal, it's still pretty incredible. But when I, when I look at my bronze medal from Sochi, it's, it's what it represents that gives it value. And I know how hard I had to work to earn that one. And so when I look at my gold medal and I look at my bronze medal, like I honestly think my bronze medal is worth more. Um, because of what made it so hard, I was a pretty heavy gold medal favorite heading into that Olympics. Actually, Tora and I both, they were calling it like clash of the Titans. It was going to be Kelly versus Tora. You know, those were the two people you would bet on. Um, and I went in so prepared. Uh, I was in the first heat that day. Uh, I won my qualification heat by a mile. Uh, I was riding so well. But the conditions were pretty challenging at that at that venue, and mm-hmm. I competed at 1 p.m. my first run, and, and the temperatures were 55 degrees. And so, if you could think about winter sports, a 55 degree day isn't too ideal for for conditions. The snow melts and deteriorates. And then there was two additional rounds of competition that went on before the finals were set to go. 
And by the time I got to the practice or finals that evening, um, around 7 p.m., the pipe had deteriorated in such a drastic fashion that it was almost unrideable. My skill set is going fast, carrying speed, edging well, gaining amplitude, doing really, really um, big tricks where other people's, sometimes their strengths is more technical. Maybe they don't carry as much speed, but they do more difficult tricks. But I carry a lot of speed and do big tricks. Mm -hmm. So basically what this did was it leveled the playing field for us. And um, no one could carry speed. There was huge kinks and huge undervert, which means basically it was just very hard to land on the wall. And I went into that practice and practice for finals. You're, you know, you're hoping to kind of set the tone for your, for your night. And I fell five consecutive runs in practice for finals. I, I moved my 1080 three different times and I couldn't land it anywhere on the wall. Um, mm. And I remember I went down uh, to the bottom and I, I saw my sports psych and um, no, everybody was just like, you know, deer in the headlights, large eyes looking at me, knowing that the train had really come off the tracks. And I, and I looked at, I looked at my sports psych. I was like, Hey, um, you know what I think uh, I need to do? I need to have a really good cry right now. Um, she's like, cool. So we went behind the, we went behind the bleachers, did a big old ugly cry for about 30 seconds. And I thought, okay, it's okay to get disappointed. I just can't stay here. My, my circumstances are not going to dictate how I do tonight. It's not what I wanted, but I'm going to move on and stick to my plan. I went to the top actually. And this is actually one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite stories of sportsmanship that I ever experienced in my career. Um, I went to the top and I actually happened to bump into your sister and she looked at me and she can see that I had obviously been crying my eyes out. My eyes are swollen, you know, and she looks at me and she goes, Oh, Hey, come here. Gives me a big hug. Let's me go. She looks at me. She goes, mm, okay. Gives me a big hug. and lets <laughs> me go. And she's like, gosh, you need one more of these. Gives me another <laughs> hug until I can like, control my breathing. Cause that's how bad I was crying. You know, I'm like, <gasps> and she's just like, okay, are you good? She lets me go. And she goes, okay, let's do this. And I thought, yeah, let's do this. So we both drop in and we both fall in the most spectacular fashion you could imagine. I hit the deck, um, on a 720. I landed my 10, hit the deck on a 720, bounced to the flats in a taco Oh. Um, she somehow had landed so flat that she was riding on her board while dragging her head across the flat bottom. And, and it was just like ridiculous how bad we both bombed our first runs. Um, but I had been preparing, like something I learned was that I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to overcome something and leading up to the Olympics, every terrible first run fall that I took, I thought to myself, what an opportunity this is. If this happens at the Olympics, I'm going to be able to learn right now how to overcome it. Sure enough, it happened at the Olympics, and I knew I had gotten ready. And I thought to myself, what an opportunity. I'm ready to do this. I went to the top, and my coach looks at me. I have now fallen six runs in a row, um, and I'm the gold medal favorite. And he looks at me, and I go, hey, Rick, what an opportunity. And he's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. You're, no one's more ready ready for this than you. And I said, absolutely. And I saw your sister, and she looked about as nervous as I ever saw. And I went over and I hugged her, and I said, this is absolutely what we've gotten ready for. And she said, okay. And she dropped in, 
landed a run. And now I'm the last person to go of the entire event. I'm the number one qualifier. Um, and I'm in last place. And I dropped in and I landed my run. And it wasn't my best run I've ever done. I can snowboard much better than, than that run that I put down. Um, but I landed it and I remember standing, standing there trying to get my board off in the flats and someone runs up to me and grabs me and starts shaking me and it's your sister. And I'm like, what happened? Did you, did you land? Cause I didn't see. And she goes, I landed. And she's like, and you landed, you know? And, uh, <laughs> she sat there for the next six minutes with me holding my hand while the judges deliberated where they were going to place me. And it turns out I got in third place, earned an Olympic bronze medal. Tora got second place, you know, got that um, silver medal. And I remember we were standing there in the medals. Uh, actually, it wasn't the medals ceremony yet. It was just the flower ceremony they have in the flat bottom after the, the event. And I remember looking over at Tora, you know, we're standing behind our, our little second and third place podium boxes, getting ready to stand up. And Caitlin Farrington, who had won the gold medal that night. And I said, well, hey, ladies, it's a good thing we all have one of these now. Let's celebrate because we all were <laughs> Olympic gold medalists at one point in our career. And we were all just true. happy to be there. And so it's just so funny because that performance cost me everything I had, every everything that I had. Um and I just think it's one of the greatest victories and greatest performances of my career where you would look at all the stats and all the wins and all the accomplishments and the X Games and the U.S. Open Championships and all these things. But I look at that and I'm like, that was one of the best performances I ever did. And I also look at like that sportsmanship and that experience I had with Tora. It's just one of my favorite stories because I'm like, you don't see that in sports. But it, it, what it said to me was like my biggest competitor wanted me to be at my best while she was at her best so we could really see who the champion should be um and that's what sports should be we should want to show up and have everybody being at their best to see how the results shake out um and it and it speaks to the the friendship and the camaraderie that snowboarding lends itself to um it speaks to the sportsmanship that your sister operates with and mm -hmm. um I just think it's like, I wish we saw more of that in sports or I wish, I wish more people knew that story because mm. when you look at it, like you can plainly see that that's more important than just winning another gold medal for, for either of us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know that we, I'm like almost in tears. I can see Rowie's almost in tears. That was amazing. I didn't I, know that story either. I, know. I knew and bits is, of it, but not. The yeah. Is this yeah. like, can we go search um, like Sochi final run women's snowboarding and watch the whole thing? Like if people oh, yeah. want to watch that. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Awesome. I'm going to yeah. go watch that. I'm going to look something yeah. up on my phone because I was showing somebody something the other day. Um, they were asking me, you know, like, what are my favorite, what are my favorite moments? Um, I'm going to see if it's. But I, I think um, when you were saying I wish we saw more of this on in sports, um, I think it comes down to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning about you, that being a champion is the inside work. And, you know, I know my sister and I know how she operates. And that is really um, 
we want to create this new standard for young kids going for success, whatever that means, you know, because I think when you go for it like you two did, then it leaves the space to be like that because it's about you. It's literally about you. It's not about anyone else. Very much um, so. And that's something I always respected yeah. about about your sister was that she operated with that. You know, that's how I operated. Um, we achieved great, you know, success in the traditional sense of the word, but it was really fulfilling and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone had tagged me on Instagram and I saw this photo and it's like, it's my favorite photo of me from competing. And you guys are going to see it and be like, oh my gosh, this is your favorite photo. But it illustrates the exact moment I just told you. And I I screenshotted it when someone tagged me after the event because I realized I need to remember this moment. So there's your sister. You can see it. She just found out. She just found out that she got second place. Yeah. And now let's go to me in the corner. Was the girl throwing up on the side? That's me. Oh Oh my gosh. (laughs) And that's me getting ready for my final run. And the weight of the world was on me. And that's exactly how I felt. Okay, this is it. Just getting ready to drop in. Wow. Epic story. Sports are so interesting that way. You know, if you didn't ever compete in sports or you maybe are an up and coming athlete and you're like trying to like you have this passion and maybe you're thinking of like, do I really want to do this? But then you hear stories like this and so many athletes have this where it's like, oh, it was so gnarly most of the time, like the pressure and the this and that. And, you know, a lot of people have injuries and all these things, but every single person's like, it was hands down worth it. And I want to hear kind of like your take on it too, because of the journey and the person you become in the process. And it seems like that's what you are kind of saying with all of this too. Yeah. I think it's very, it's very difficult to dream because you risk the, the, the possibility of your dream not happening, you know? Um, but if you can learn to measure success and chase down successful things by personal personal growth and development, like there really is no failure. Like you fail and you learn things. You succeed and you learn things. You fail and you grow. You know, it's if, if you can change your perspective around that, um, it's not so scary to dream anymore if you're not looking to prove to people who you are through your accomplishment all of a sudden it's not too scary to dream anymore um and I'm really grateful you know I've I've developed into the person that I am through the last 20 years of competing um I started when I was 15 you know so I did a lot of my developmental years through competing and growing up and I wouldn't trade it for the world it was the most intense difficult journey I could have chosen (laughs) it was you know, hard. And it took a lot of, a lot of sacrifice. And even now since retiring, I, I didn't realize how all consuming it was for me until I retired. But I, I I just still wouldn't trade my journey for anything in the world. But I, I am doing a lot of um, hard work now. Since retiring, they always say the transition out of athletics is, is very difficult. Um, which I was ready for. And I actually chose it. Most people get pushed out. Most people can't keep up or get injured. And I, I chose it and, and Burton, my, um, my sponsor I've been with for almost 20, 23, 24 years now. Um, 
you know, just stood by my side and supported me and I'm still on the team. I've got a lot of wonderful things that were supporting me in the transition, but I tell you that transition from competition was extremely difficult. And my, my, my coach used to put it to me this way when I would get discouraged or when it would be hard or when I'd make mistakes, you know, he'd always say, Hey, Kelly, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And that's kind of how I feel, you know, looking back at pursuing a a career in professional sports, like, was it hard? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was it intense? Yeah. Did I sacrifice everything? A hundred percent. Yeah. Was it worth it? Totally. And if it was easy, there'd be more of us out there. It's, it's, it's not easy. Um, I think we think things should be fun and not everything is fun, but everything should be enjoyable. And I can really say that it, it was enjoyable. Um, and I would take joy over fun any day. You hear that kiddos? <laughs> we hear, we hear this from every single champion. They talk about the fun, but I've never, sp- I've never heard it spoken in the way you just said the joy. It's a difference. Yeah, it's a big Where difference. You- I, yeah. just, I just think it's like, if it's, we just, you, people think, oh, it's not fun. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But like hard work isn't fun. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, I'm listening to you talk and the person you are and the person you've become. Um, and I just have this question, like, where do you draw your strength? Where did you draw your strength? Yeah. I mean, I have great family and I have great friends. Um, Mm -hmm. like I mentioned, I have great support and my sponsors, like my coach, my sports psych, like my trainer, you know, all those people were really integral, like in my career there, there are no one man shows when you're looking at Mm -hmm. being like there, you won't find a successful person that, that is like a self-made, you know, we kind of champion self-made millionaires in our culture, but it's just like, that doesn't happen in sports. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of really great people that support me, but I also think my faith has been a huge support for me in my life. That's like something I draw a lot of strength from is my belief Mm -hmm. system um, and that's really where that identity piece comes in for me. That gives me that sense of significance, um, mm. that belief that, that God loves me and that I'm significant outside of, you know, win, lose or draw in performance has really been the backbone that's enabled me to, uh, thrive in performance culture. Yeah. Beautiful. Is that something that you were raised with? Like as a kid, this belief system, this faith? Uh, no, I, I didn't have any sort of faith or belief system growing up. That wasn't part of my family in any way. Um, I, I actually found it after I won the Olympics. I, I had the idea that when I'm successful, it meant I was going to be fulfilled. And I think mm. that's what a lot of people chase down, um, goals, accomplishments, you know, careers. And they say, if I can only achieve this, if I can reach it here, my life will be great. I'll have it all together. And that thing that I'm looking for, that need that I have will be filled. And I guess I just found out very quickly, you know, as an 18 year old, I had achieved, I think I won, I won the X games. I won the Olympics and I won the U S open all in that season, everything. And I was just like, okay, I did it. What's what now, (laughs) you know, I'm done. And that deep sense of significance wasn't found through accomplishment. Um, And about two years later, I was just kind of going through the motions. And about two years later, um, I actually had overheard somebody 
at a contest who was kind of upset that they didn't they didn't make finals. They had fallen twice. And I just overheard this conversation of somebody trying to get her friend to laugh and cheer up. And she said, hey, it's all right. God still loves you. And I just was standing there and I overheard it. And something about that comment just kind of stirred something in me that I, I just really couldn't ignore. They weren't even talking to me. I just happened to overhear it. And um, I thought there's something to it. There's something to that. And I found that girl who had made the comment was staying in our hotel. And I knocked on her door and I said, hey, my name's Kelly. Um, I think you might be a Christian. And I was wondering if you could tell me about God. And she's just like, uh, yeah, I know who you are. Uh, come on in, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was just cool. I just, I just had this idea that being a Christian was about being good all the time or following rules, um, going to church. I just, I just thought it was just a bunch of like a ritual. And she's just like, Hey, Jesus made you for a relationship. And, and it's not based off of what you can do, um, wants to do life with you. And, and, you know, I think people think snowboarders are like risk takers, but we're really calculated risk takers. Like if I go to the lake with my friends and everybody's jumping off into the water, I'm like, I don't know what's under there. I'm not going to jump off the cliffs. Like, no way. Like, we're not just like these risk takers that are like, I'm in. Um, and so I had never thought about God before. I didn't need God. Like, it just was, I'm the last person you would have thought in a million years would have whoever would have ever had this, this idea about this. And so I didn't just be like, okay, I'm in, I'm jumping in. I just spent the next few months being like, hey, God, if you're real, show me you're real. And by the end of the, those few months, I just had really realized that there was a real God and that he loved me and I was wow. in. And so it was just never anything I had thought, but I just found such a deep sense of worth there. And snowboarding at the time had become something that I had to do to prove to people who I was or how valuable I was. And even myself, you know, I had to maintain this performance to be like, I've got to win. I've got to maintain it. I've got to stay valuable. And that just began to go away when I developed faith. And all of a sudden, like, snowboarding became something that I got to do. It wasn't something that I had to do. And it set me up to just really enjoy it. So that's kind of some of the background on where that journey uh, started for me and just how it kind of propelled and sustained my career in a really unexpected way. Yeah. What an incredible story. I love that. And I love that you shared that um, with everyone, because I do think that is something really important, especially if people are feeling like they're doing this just to get fulfillment and then not having that fulfillment. It's like, wait, that's a huge letdown because that's what I was going for. I think it's like anything in life, right? We always are trying to like achieve, achieve. And then it's like, oh, wait, I get that thing or that whatever you're, you're going for wanting. And then you still feel the same. So finding that peace and happiness and finding how to do that. That's amazing that you were able to do that. Yeah. I think it's, um, people talk about burnout a lot. Um, and you know, we joke, we joke around that I've done a, you know, a million snowboard contests. I've probably done more snowboarding contests than any human on the planet. <laughs> um, but I found that burnout doesn't necessarily come from too much activity, you know, like if anybody should have been burned out on snowboarding, like 
should have been me, <laughs> you know, mm. it, it really comes from unmet expectations. And so that faith journey helped me get my expectations in the right place to where I could actually like, you know, not have those expectations crushed every weekend at the snowboard contest, you know, and, and that's how I avoided burnout. And I think that's how a lot of us, no matter if you're sports or mom work, whatever, whatever you're doing, it's like relationships. Once, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. We look for those things to just define us and complete us. And, you know, and I just was like, not very many people get to the top of the mountain, no pun intended. Like not many people achieve that top, top goal they ever want in life. And as a young person, I did it. And I had to figure out how to get some realistic expectations in place and some real identity and significant stuff in place to set myself up to then really continue to enjoy the rest of my, my career. It's amazing. Well, I'm just like thinking back to the beginning of this interview, that moment when you said you remembered everything, you know, the moment you decided you wanted to go to the Olympics and how that changed your life. And then that moment when you heard the girl tell her friend, don't worry, God loves you. Like all these moments that just, you know, created the journey for you. And I'm so, I'm just so grateful that you shared all of this in just such a authentic way, vulnerable, authentic way. Um, and I'm thinking back to the moment when you said school was hard, um, and I'm like, you are such a wise, intelligent woman. I'm so glad that you picked snowboarding and found your way and you could just really be who you were created to be. I feel like you've, you're doing it. And I, I'm excited to see what's next, Kelly. Thank you. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see what's next too. I've been um, snowboarding for a long time and I think yeah. uh, I like to think the best is yet to come. Oh, for sure it is. Well, we, we have really enjoyed our time with you. We have one last question before, um, yeah. before we go is, can you tell us what does it mean to be a champion to you? I would say achieving what's in your heart and living, living life to your fullest, not necessarily the fullest, but, um, you know, you want to say it's the person who has achieved everything. But I think if you've gotten one thing from this podcast you can say that's that's the main thing isn't necessarily the main thing but it's someone who goes after their dreams and um hits their own potential I think as a champion yes um and I remember you said that about your career that you felt like you'd hit your potential and then you closed out that story yeah yeah I think I, once so you hit good. once you hit your own ceiling I think that growth part is so important to me that I knew I was done growing in that area and it's time to to see where else I can grow. Yeah, awesome. Well, you guys, um, it's again been a really lucky day for us. Um, go find Kelly on Instagram. It's the Kelly Clark. Go buy her book. Um, it's on Amazon, Inspired. Uh, and then the Kelly Clark Foundation. Um, you can go and look that up online. You're doing some amazing stuff with that, Kelly. So inspiring. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks.